Back in the days of communism in East Germany, the Ministry of Education in East Berlin for eight times have refused Mr. Holmer's admission of his children into the university system. The Ministry of Education at that time, in fact, usually they just never gave an explanation why they turned somebody down. But in Mr. Holmer's case, the explanation was not necessary. He was an evangelical Lutheran pastor in a suburb outside of East Germany, Lubatel. This man of God who have applied for his children to go to universities, eight of them, and was turned down and his kids were never able to get college education simply because the Ministry of Education was headed up for 26 years by Margot Honecker, the wife of the Premier, Eric Honecker. And the reason was that she hated Christians and she did not want evangelicals to have the chance to be educated. And when Berlin Wall fell, Eric Honecker and his wife were unceremoniously ushered out of office and continued until today, in fact, to be under indictment for some criminal activities that has taken place right at the time when he was a premier. Within a few months of the fall of Berlin, the Hanukkahs were evicted from their luxurious palace in Vandelitz, and the Hanukkahs suddenly found themselves out on the streets without resources and without friends. None of their former cronies showed any friendliness toward them, or any of that camaraderie that the communists used to boast about. No one wanted to identify with them, let alone take them into their homes. That except for Pastor Homer and his family, whose eight children were denied higher education because of the Hanukkah's discrimination against Christians and against their Christian commitment the only people in all of Berlin that would take the Hanukkahs in were Pastor Homer, who brought them into his parish parsonage. And there, Pastor Homer exercised the grace of God to totally undeserving people. And as a result of that, he made seekers out of them for Christ and His grace. Because you know and I know that grace is the opposite of justice. Justice is giving each his exact due. Justice shows no favor and shows no mercy. Justice pays precise wages. But grace is an unmerited favor by the recipient. Grace is a free and undeserved favor by the recipient. Grace is unearned favor. Hear me right. There is no such thing as deserved grace. It is contradiction in terms, and it does not work. And that is why I believe with all my heart that the Christian faith is the only faith in the world that is based upon grace. The Christian faith is the only faith in the world that does not require the believers to do anything for his or her salvation. The Christian faith is the only faith in the world that reveals to us the love of God reaching down to a sinful humanity in order to pick it up and clean it up and have a relationship with them. And that is why the Christian faith is the only truth. Not one of the truths. It's the only truth. 
In this day of tolerance and acceptance of all this stuff, I am tolerant and accepting of all people. But I want to tell you, there is no truth outside of Christ. Any truth is only a shadow of the real truth that are in Jesus Christ. And that is why if you heard me long enough, you know that I never refer to Christianity as a religion. Why? Because by definition, religion is man trying to reach out to God, trying to find out God, trying to please God. But in Christ Jesus, God showed us that He is the one who reaches out. He is the one who reaches down. He is the one who initiates His grace toward us. God reached down in Jesus Christ with undeserved, unmerited, and unearned and unwarranted malevolence toward those who come to Christ. Every time I think of the grace of God, I'm overwhelmed. Totally overwhelmed up to my head. The passage that we're going to look at in 2 Samuel chapter 9 is one of the most magnificent passages of the whole of the Old Testament. It is a magnificent chapter of grace right there implanted in the middle of the Old Testament. It is the whole gospel of grace in a microcosm and in one chapter. As we look at this portrait of a champion, we're going to see that champions of God exercise grace. In 2 Samuel 9.1, there verse 1, it says, Is there still anyone left? David speaking. Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now I want you to reflect for a moment in the past messages. Think with me just for a moment. Of all the untold suffering that Saul caused David, he was hunting him from cave to cave. He was hunting him from mountain to mountain. He was hunting him from wilderness to wilderness. He was hunting him from town to town. He threw the javelin and the spear with deep desire in his heart to kill him and get rid of him once and for all. Yet as soon as David becomes king, he shows grace. As soon as David emerges as the victor, he exercises grace. This chapter, in my estimation, truly is a foreshadowing of God's dealing in grace with fallen sinners. It is foreshadowing of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just like God initiated His work by grace to fallen disobedient sinners such as ourselves, David initiated this act of grace toward the family that were his arch enemies. And just as God who reaches out and reaches down to undeserving, disobedient, rebellious people such as ourselves, David reaches to the grandson of the man who hated him, the grandson of the man who despised him, the grandson of the man who resented him. He reaches down to him with grace. But hear me right, God always initiates overtures of mercy. God always initiates overture of grace. God always makes the first move. It was God who sought Abraham at Ur of Chaldeas. It was God who sought Jacob at Bethel. It was God who sought Moses at Midian. It was God who sought Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. God reaches down. Listen to what Paul said in Titus 3 verses 4 and 5. He said, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, 
deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us so generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So David asks, Is there anyone left in the house of Saul so that I might show kindness to him for Jonathan's sake? And in verse 4, they said to him, Yes, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, who is crippled in both legs, is still alive. Now I want to remind you that back in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, when Saul and Jonathan both died in the battlefield, Mephibosheth was about five years of age. And when the word came to the palace and said, the king is killed, the prince is killed, the nurse of Mephibosheth carried him and in running away from the palace in panic, when she's running away in fear, she dropped this five-year-old boy and he became crippled in both legs. And here in 2 Samuel chapter 9, Mephibosheth is no longer a child. He's a grown man. And I want you to listen to me very carefully. Because this is a very important message. Not only for you to know it, to believe it, to live by it, but and also to share it with others who do not know it. I want you to look with me very carefully at Mephibosheth's condition before being brought into the palace and shown grace by David and afterward. And I want you to relate this to your condition and to your condition and your condition and my condition before Christ and after Christ. First of all, his name, Mephibosheth. Well, any parent would call their son Mephibosheth is cruel. (laughs) (laughs) Mephibosheth. The name means a shameful thing. A shameful thing. And this is the condition of humanity without Christ. We were born with sin. We were born with our backs toward God. We were born with our minds and our hearts depraved. We were born with darkened minds that were not enabling us to turn to God or to understand and comprehend spiritual truth. We were born with our will in opposition to the will of God. And if you don't believe that, see the first word a child uses. The first word a little baby can say is the word no. Because in him saying no to mommy and daddy, it's his way of saying no to God. And that is why we as Christian parents are to bend the will of our children in order that they may be able to say yes to mommy and daddy. Because when they say yes to mommy and daddy when they're little, they're going to grow up to say yes to God when they're older. Mephibosheth. Shameful thing. And the Bible said that all of our works were like filthy rag in the sight of God. And the person without Christ is a shameful thing indeed. A person without Christ is a Mephibosheth. A person without Christ is living in shame. The shame of sin and the shame of the consequences of sin. But secondly, Mephibosheth was on the run from David. He was on the run from David. Probably he was lied to, most likely. And throughout his life he was told that David hated him. 
probably throughout his life as he's growing up, his grandfather probably sat him on his knee and told him that David is a bad man. He probably brainwashed him and telling him how bad David was. And this boy grows up with that lie in his mind. Let me tell you something. There are so many children in this country who are growing up in homes where they learn that God is their enemy. They learn that God is a cruel and harsh and dictator God. That He is cold. That He is distant. These kids are taught that God does not do anything about suffering. He does not do anything about pain. And therefore, God cannot be trusted. I want to tell you, when an eight-year-old boy tried to kill a little baby, you know we're in trouble. And that's what they're teaching some of the kids in the homes. And this number is growing. Those who are teaching their children that God loves them and that God has a plan for their life and that God cares for them so deeply are becoming less and less in this country. Kids lie to every day when they walk into public schools and they're taught that God does not exist. Kids when walk into public schools and they see the Ten Commandments coming out of the walls. They cannot trust God. They've been told not to trust God. They've been lied to just as Mephibosheth was lied to. Thirdly, Mephibosheth was crippled. Oh, how accurately this portrays the spiritual position of those who are without Christ. We, by nature, born spiritually crippled. By nature, no one of us, no one is able to turn to God because we're spiritually paralyzed. By nature, no one is able to get into God's path of righteousness. By nature, no one of us is able to turn into God's way of salvation. We are all spiritually crippled without Christ. And we who are in Christ Jesus, don't you ever forget it? We were once spiritually crippled. We were once spiritually blind. We were once in spiritual darkness. And that is why Jesus said that no one, and I mean no one, he means no one, Catholic, Protestant, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Calathumpian, whatever your background is, I want to tell you, no one but no one can come to the Father but through Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can carry you across the chasm of sin. Only Jesus Christ can lead you to the Father's forgiveness and mercy and grace. Only Jesus can strengthen you by the grace of God. Because only Jesus can save you from hell and damnation. Fourthly, Mephibosheth became crippled as a result of a fall. The nurse dropped him, and he lost use of his legs, and he became crippled. And we too have become sinners as a result of a fall. The fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were not created sinners. Adam and Eve were created spiritually healthy. Adam and Eve were created spiritually good. But because of sin, because of rebellion... Because of disobedience, they became spiritually crippled. And as a result of their fall, you and I and all of humanity has experienced that fall too. We have become spiritually blind because of a fall. Fifthly, verse 4, Mephibosheth lived in Lodabar. That is a Hebrew word. Lo in Hebrew means no. Debar means pastor. Word means no pastor. No pasture land. It was a place of barrenness. It was a place of dissatisfaction. It was a place of emptiness. 
And for those who live in the world outside of the kingdom of Christ, they are living in the cities of Lodabar. They're living in towns of Lodabar. They're living in neighborhoods of Lodabar. The multitudes of those who are outside of Christ, they live in the barrenness of Lodabar. They live in the emptiness of Lodabar. They seek satisfaction, but there is none. They seek contentment, but they cannot find it. They're living in Lodabar, just as Mephibosheth was. Look at this. I mean, you look at this young man. You don't have to be a genius or a scientist to discover that he's got everything going against him. Everything is going against him. And before Christ spiritually, everything was going against you. I don't care how wealthy you are, how prominent you are, what good family you come from. It doesn't make any difference. All that God sees is a dirty rag. Hello? (laughs) Everything is going against this young man. He came from a family that was rebellious against the king. He could not walk because of the fall. He was dwelling in a place... Of barrenness. And yet, <laughs> the king himself sought him. <laughs> Hallelujah. The king was seeking after him. The king was reaching out to him. The king himself wanted to shower him with his grace and his blessings. No wonder the apostle Paul said in Romans 3.24, he said, Being justified freely by his grace. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were antagonistic toward the king, just like Saul's family was, God loved us, and he loved us so dearly. That was our condition before Christ. And this is Mephibosheth's condition before the king seeking him. Look at the second part of this chapter. Imagine if you were in Mephibosheth's place... (laughs) And you know what your grandfather did, what your grandfather said, and and you know all that you know. And then they say to you, the king is calling you. I mean, what would you expect other than death? He said, this is it. He became a king. He's replaced my grandfather. And now he's going to take revenge. The first thought that hits your mind. Man, I'm done for. (laughs) But instead, I want you to look at the first thing David did. Verse (laughs) 6. David calls him by name. He calls him by name. Mephibosheth. <laughs> Have you ever heard the Lord call you by name? Have you really? Have you ever heard the Lord saying your name? You and you are reading the scripture and sometimes the Holy Spirit just brings something out and he calls you by name. He does. Jesus said in John 10.3 he said that the good shepherd calls his sheep by name. He knows you by name. At the burning bush, God called Moses by name. Jesus looked up at the sycamore tree and he saw Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Jesus comes outside of the empty tomb and he sees Mary and he calls her by name. And he calls you by name. Not just he knows you by name, but he calls you by name. He calls your name. Did you know that your name is spoken of in high places? (laughs) Are you flattered? Well, sure I am. Did you know that your name is often mentioned in the courts of heaven? (laughs) In good things, I hope. Did you know that your name is called by the supreme ruler of the universe? He calls you by name. David called Mephibosheth by name. But then secondly, verse 7, he said to him, fear not. Fear not. 
Now, if you forget everything I said today, I don't want you to forget this one. I don't want you to miss this one. I don't want you to miss the incredible, overwhelming grace of God. Because you look as hard as you may in this passage, you find no rebuke for sin. There is no condemnation for the family's sin. There is no chiding for his background. There is no anger toward the past. There is no reproach because of Saul's rebellion. David said, fear not. And that is the first thing that our gracious heavenly father does and says to us as sinners. When we turn to him, the first thing he says, Michael, fear not. John, fear not. Mary, fear not. Fear not Satan. Why? Because he no longer has authority over you. Fear not sin. Why? Because it no longer has dominion over your life. Fear not the consequences of your sin. Why? Because Jesus has blotted it with the blood of the Lamb and covered it forever. Fear not hell. Why? Because you have been rescued from its horrors. Not only did David call Mephibosheth by name. Not only did he say to him, fear not. But thirdly, in verse 7 again, he said to him, he said, I'll restore to you the land of your father. Now, congregation, listen, this is grace without bounds. (laughs) This is grace without boundaries. This is grace without category. This is grace without bargaining. This is grace without conditions. This is grace without any stipulations. Had David said to Mephibosheth, listen, son, I know what your grandfather did. I know what happened, but you know what happened. But I want to tell you something. I'm going to be much nicer than your granddad. And I'm going to do this and this and this. But now one thing you need to do, young man, you don't look very trimmed. You're so filthy. If you're going to eat at my table, you better have a bath every day. He didn't say that. Because you know what? Because that's exactly what the boy was going to do anyway. (laughs) Because grace produces response, and I'm going to come to that in a minute. If David made any stipulations, it would not have been grace. It would be conditional grace. And God's grace is not conditional. Grace is unmerited favor. It is undeserved favor. It is everything for nothing. And I want to tell you, those who preach salvation through works, through good works, they make a mockery of God's grace in Christ Jesus. They really do. Sad. David showed grace for the sake of Jonathan. And God the Father shows grace toward you and you and you and me because of Jesus. He showed kindness to you because of Jesus. David showed grace for the sake of Jonathan. And God gives you grace for the sake of Jesus. When you come to him and you stand in the shadow of the cross and you say, I'm empty handed. I can't do anything. I can't give anything. I am coming to you in the name of Jesus. He said, okay, you get my favor. (laughs) Get in. Fourthly, David's grace overwhelmed Mephibosheth. In verse 8, listen to his response. It is vitally important. Because we live in a day, maybe 50, 100 years ago, this might not have been an issue. But I want to tell you, today it is. We live in a day where even church leadership are saying, it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what sin you commit. It's okay, the grace of God cover it. That is not the grace of God. This is cheap grace of somebody else, but it's not the grace of God. Because I tell you, when the grace of God overwhelms us, when the grace of God is given to us so freely, there's only one response. Listen to Mephibosheth. He said, who am I? (laughs) 
that you should look upon me with favor. Overwhelmed with grace. Probably Mephibosheth in his mind was saying, for all these years that I've hated the king, all these years that I have rejected the king, all of these years that I have ignored the king, all of these years, and I think of all of these years that that I ran away from the king. And all he's going to give me is grace. All he's going to give me is blessings. But isn't that what so many of us do when we turn and receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Isn't that how we feel? So overwhelmed with the mercy of God, so overwhelmed with the grace of God, that we say to ourselves, why did we wait so long? Why did I run away from God? Why didn't I trust Him sooner? Why didn't I turn to Him long ago? This is too good to be true. Because that is the right response to the grace of God. Grace humbles us. Grace leads us into repentance. Grace overwhelms us into unconditional obedience to God and to His Word. That's what grace does. Don't confuse grace with license. And I want to say something else about this because in this day, with the day of self-esteem and self-image seem to be the all-important thing to live by, I want to remind you what you already know, at least some of you do, that the only form of self-esteem that is worth the name is to teach our children that the God of the universe knows them by name, that the God of the universe loves them so dearly, that the God of the universe has a plan for their life, that the God of the universe has named them in His will, that the God of the universe has given them an inheritance both in this life and in the life to come that they could never have gotten themselves. That is the self-esteem that is worthy of the name. David restored to Mephibosheth that which his grandfather lost because of his apostasy. He said, I'll give you all the land that your grandfather used to have. God in Christ Jesus restores to us spiritual wholeness That our grandfather Adam and our grandmother Eve have lost in the garden. He gives us far more. Listen to it. Fifthly here, David said to Mephibosheth, he said, You will eat bread at my table. In addition to restoring all of that, I'm going to invite you to sit at my table every day. (laughs) What a contrast. From being in the land of Lodebar (laughs) to the palace of plenty. (laughs) From depravity... To the king's table. But isn't that how God saves? He saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. He saves from depravity to the height of glory. He saves from the lowest depths to the highest height. He saves from the prison of sin to the freedom of the palace of God's presence. He saves us from sin to salvation. From slavery to sonship. He saves us from the dirty mire to the Shekinah glory. He saves us from being lost to being at the center of God's will. That's what God does. Mephibosheth was not going to eat at the king's table as an alien. No, no. He was not going to eat as a special guest. No, that's not the way grace works. He was not going to eat some meals or in special ceremony, special 
national holidays? No. No, that's not how grace works. He was going to eat always. If your Bible doesn't have the word always there, write it in. (laughs) It's the right translation. Always at the king's table. Jesus said, those whom the Father has given me, I will lose none. Listen to what John said in 1 John 3, 1. He said, what manner of love that the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. You're a child of the King. Walk like one. Think like one. Behave like one. Sacrifice like one. Through Christ the believers obtained far, 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 far more. How many fires are this? Far, 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 far more than what Adam and Eve lost in the garden. He restored it to us. Spiritual wholeness. Because at the king's table, Mephibosheth was not only going to get some honor. He'll get that. Not just some privilege and he'll get that. Not just joy, he'll get that. Not just abundance, he'll get that. But he's going to get something more, more, more important. I don't know that the shout or cry. Because I know what I'm going to say. <laughs> because at the king's table, Mephibosheth's legs are going to be hidden from view. And if you don't want to shout at the fact that all of your sins, past, present, and future, are covered by the blood of the Lamb, something wrong with you. He covered it all when he hung on the cross. His blood washed us that all of the shameful things and now... Honorable. Mephibosheth, shameful thing. Now he's the most honored at the king's table. Shameful become honorable under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So much so that the Father looks at us as if we have never sinned. What glory. Now if you're a person who have never, ever in your life, Experienced that grace of God and responded to the grace of God. I invite you to do that today. And those of us who have received the grace of God and just take it for granted and live for ourselves and get busy for our own needs and all the things that we live for, I want to tell you, I hope and I pray that today you'll repent of that. Heavenly Father, it is so overwhelming, Lord. From that day in 1964 to this, to think of your grace that has blotted all of my sins. To think of your grace that is so overwhelming that I can't even talk. To think of your grace, Heavenly Father, that you have given us in the Beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, I pray that this is not only something that should make us, motivate us to live above the circumstances, but it should motivate us, Heavenly Father, to tell others about it. Father, that we may share the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ with everyone who would listen. And Father, motivate us to learn from this grace, to live from this grace, to draw from that grace, and indeed to witness to that grace. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.